Code white intake. Code white intake. Code white intake. Code white Welcome back. We're doing another episode of Assault Precautions. I am Isaac, and I am a tech. I am Jody, and I'm a nurse. And I guess we're going to start things off with my favorite Bible verse, which is, Let he who hath known himself unto thine truth walk therein, which is a Bible verse that I made up. I felt like you made that up. Yeah, it's it's completely made up. I'm not sure what book that's in or if it's in there at all. Jacob 14. Jacob 14. They went through 13 Jacobs before that. <laughs> <laughs> they kept they kept breaking down. I appreciate the effort to get it right. Well, you know, you want to get your factual information. So what we're talking about uh, this week is um, patient interaction and... Uh, verbal de-escalation and you know i'm i'm going to talk a lot about um tits and tricks as we call them tits and tricks and and i'll funnel downwards um but um uh when someone hired me at a different hospital uh not long ago they they asked me a question that was uh, thought provoking and he said to me uh when does verbal de-escalation begin and the answer is upon admission. I agree. I think you, when you very first meet a patient and you want to form a relationship with them just immediately to see where they're at, you know, you begin to have a discussion. You know, what happened today? What happened yesterday? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, why did you show up in the hospital? Oh, I've been having some depression. Okay. I understand. But what happened in the last 24 to 48 hours to get you into the emergency room? I want to talk about the, uh, the culminative event. Yeah. Talk to me about the fire. Yeah. There was some fire business. <laughs> the hammer. The, yeah. The fire and the hammer. That's what I specifically am honed in on. It's... It's always interesting when you first meet a patient because, you know, you get a report maybe from the ER and maybe this patient's been restrained. Maybe they've been given emergency medications and you see it on the board and, you know, admissions is talking like, well, we're about to get someone super acute and they're from here and they've been doing these things and they've been hold and they've gotten these medications and, you know, ears are up, ears are perked, eyes are open. You're ready to take this patient in. Mm -hmm. So it's always interesting. I think from the perspective of seeing what the patient is represented as to where they walk into admissions and you begin that first dialogue. Yeah, because sometimes it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with what you got in the clinicals that got faxed over. Yeah. They got a lot of that out of their systems. And then also ambulance drivers really like to give Verset and ketamine and really, <laughs> really chill them out. Ketamine seems popular. And, you know, you get a report from a uh, you know, maybe an ER and a nurse, a nurse, and this patient's completely out of control, and they're just super violent, and they're super verbally aggressive, and they've been blah blah blah. And you're like, well, what happened? And sometimes it, they're not lying, and sometimes they're like, well, you know, they they threw a cup of water at the nurse. 
Yeah. How dare they? Yeah, they wanted a sandwich for lunch, and it wasn't time for lunch, so I told him that, and they tore up the room. Like, did you consider trying giving him a sandwich? <laughs> or it wasn't turkey. Yeah, it wasn't wool. I mean, I get a little pissed at turkey, too. It's it's the it's the enzymes in it that make you sleepy, and I'm trying to stay sharp. Yeah, the tryptophan. Yeah, tryptophan D. But, you know, I guess I, what we're trying to explain is you get various reports and different perspectives from different people, and maybe those people aren't necessarily working in the adult acute psychiatric field. Right. So their perspective of these patients when they're coming in is a little bit different than maybe what you may be used to because you may have a, a unit full of these guys. And, right. You know, depending upon that first interaction is so important. Who who meets them? Who does the skin search? Who's creating that first dialogue to make them feel like, hey, you're in a safe place. You're with people that you can trust. And, you know, honestly, there are a lot of times they're in a position where they're not trusting anybody. Right. So, you know, despite what you hear in the clinicals and in the reports and stuff, uh, you're going to want to get the best information. That means you got to go to the patient and you got to go have a chat with them. Yeah. Like you, you, you need to see what they're about. You need to see it firsthand. What are you about, buddy? What's going on with all this hammer and cigarette lighter business? Yeah. And you know, you can take that first report of, you know, walking in traffic without pants or chasing people through hotel parking lots with hammers. And He's that. describing me. <laughs> Dude, you're still not wearing pants. No, it's hot. It's not hot today. Oh, well. You're just doing it. I'm just dysregulated. It's it's behavior at this point. Yeah, well, it's a negative attention seeking. And it worked because you just redirected me over it. Right. Yeah. But, you know, what I think is super important, and we're going to be going over a lot of verbal de-escalation and some stories that we've had on units and kind of where we've been successful and felt that, you know, even with the roughest patient where we've been able to get in, and create some type of a connection with these people where they can feel like they're being listened to, where they're in a safe environment, where they can actually extend themselves out a little bit and show you a little bit of humanity where their last maybe 24, 48, 72 hours has not been very human. No, not at all. They're strapped. The the, the blood pressure goes off every 90 minutes. It's It freaks you out. There's a security guard sitting outside of the store, at, the, at out, of the, out of the door at the ER. And yeah. It, it's it's dehumanizing. It feels like jail, and like that. That's one of the first things I tell kids whenever they admit. I'm like, listen, this is not jail. Okay, yeah. it's we're not going to treat you like it's jail. You know. And let's be honest. There are a lot of people that are first contacts with these patients when they're coming in, where they're really sick, and they're meeting people that are not geared for this. They're first contact maybe with police, and I've seen patients that were even TBIs or Alzheimer's or. You know, in some position where they were minus their faculties that were been treated very roughly. And that's not to speak harshly on police officers or sheriffs or anything that are coming into contact with a situation where they're unsure of themselves. And certainly we want everyone to be safe. But they don't get the training we get. They don't. And they don't have the understanding for the for the true mental illness that a lot of people right. are encountering. So it's difficult for, you know, a first contact where a police officer comes up onto a patient who is experiencing an acute mental crisis. In the Target produce section. In the Target produce section. We got you again, Target. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> and and the, it's not that they're not trained. And maybe let's say perhaps they, they have been trained. Let's, let's say maybe they have encountered this type of patient or this type of episode before. 
Well, let's say maybe they've been doing this job for 14 years and maybe they've had a hard day. You know, it's difficult. And maybe the patient's aggressive, you know? Yeah. So it's not to say that anyone's bad. We don't want to call anyone out. We're not saying patients are bad. We're not saying first contact is bad. We're saying sometimes there's an interaction that's negative. It's complicated. It gets complicated quick. Mm -hmm. So you see these patients that come in that you get these reports on, and whether it's from you know law enforcement or into the ER where there's a hustle and bustle, and we understand that there's medical emergencies that happen. You know, you have a motor vehicle accident where there's an acute injury and someone's bleeding out, and you have... Uh, you know, the patient 14B, which is responding openly and it's fairly aggressive and maybe they've uh, got some substance abuse issues and mm-hmm. they're not dying. So the attention from that staff may not be immediately directed towards that patient in, in, that's experiencing mental crisis. They may be trying to stop somebody from dying. Yeah, they're, they're worried about what the Dynamab says. But overall, that experience from the point that the patient was acute and out in in society and interacting in whatever way that they were that caused the the initial contact to the time Uh that they get to the ER to the time they get processed and maybe get a teledoc to get a referral to a facility like ours it may be a day it may be longer you know and then they're going to end up sitting in that ER for 34 days uncomfortable they may and they may be in restraints and they may be getting out of van or ketamine or whatever happens because propofol they're sick already. There's frustration that's built in. They're they're hungry. They're coming off their their whatever that substance is that they're using. So mm-hmm. it's it's just a it's a difficult time, and I think people don't necessarily see it for the crisis that it really is emotionally for these patients. Right. And I think one of the best things that you can keep in your mind when you go in and you meet new patients and you get these new patients on the unit, and this is for nurses and social workers and techs, even the fucking janitors, odds are, and it's not every case, but most of the time you will get out of a patient what you put in. A hundred percent. If you are dismissive and shitty and snooty to them, Guess how they're going to be with you? Well, you're just like uh, the other hundred people they've just met. Yeah, but if you take your time to sit down with this guy and humanize him and, you know, reconcile some of these things that they're going through, that's where you start building a rapport, a therapeutic relationship with these guys. So you, you're you not going to be able to... You, okay, I won't say not... You are rarely going to be able to verbally de-escalate a complete stranger. Or someone that's in complete psychosis that cannot, that's absent their reasoning. Yeah, they're just not capable of reasoning with you. Now, you can stop them from hitting you in the face repeatedly. Sometimes. Well, ultimately, you can stop them. Sometimes it's not pretty. Yeah, they might get the first one or two in there. (laughs) Yeah, you get lumps. and. I mean, everybody that works in this field, I mean, you guys out there listening know you've had that patient and you've had this episode and and everyone's got their own stories. You have to wait. You have to wait them out. You have to approach them in a way that even if they're not cognizantly recognizing who you are, what you're doing, that you're not a threat. Right. And, uh, you know, over the years I've done, uh, three different kinds of, uh, official verbal de-escalation programs and restraint programs that different hospitals subscribe to. So in in my years, I have done SAMA, which is uh, 
Satori alternatives to managing aggression. God, I hope that's right. We're about to get a shitload of emails. No, it, it it is right. Satori alternatives to managing aggression and Satori meaning in, in Japanese meaning clear understanding. Clear. Very clear. So much. Guess what? It's unclear. It is. And a lot of the approach I think to, to Sama is, is there's a lot of very practical things that I think overlap into a lot of these different teachings and programs. Um, there's several out there right but uh i've also done handle with care i've been an instructor with handle with care with come with which comes with its own verbal de-escalation school of thought and i've done cpi and tbri and i think coming back from all of those i think my favorite verbal de-escalation technique is the what's called the assisting process to sama so I'm going to go through each step of the assisting process of Sama with a fictional character. Like, Crystal, I see you throwing glass champagne bottles at the wall. So naughty. Are you feeling angry? Because what you've done here is that you have linked a behavior to an emotion. Right. Right. And then... They're probably going to answer, well, fuck yeah, I'm angry. Well, of course you are, yeah. But then you go back and then af- the, af- you affirm and clarify. Next step being, okay, I can see that you're being angry. What is it that you're angry about? And you don't ask why. Never say Never why. Never say why. Because why is speculative. It could sign blame. What is it that you're angry about? Because then what is it means that they're going to talk about an event or a person that perpetrated that event. Uh, and now you have an under and you repeat it back to them. And now you have an understanding that you are angry and here is why you're angry. Okay. Then the most important question, Crystal, what do you want? Yeah. Maybe they hadn't even thought about it yet. They'll think about it. Like, well, I want to go out to the playscape and play on the slide. Okay, you want to go out and play on the playscape? That's not unreasonable. What have you done to be able to go out and play on the slide? Yeah. Well, I punched Vortex in the neck and I lit a small fire. It wasn't that big. It wasn't that big. It wasn't that big. It was a waste paper basket in the nurse's station, a little small fire. Like, okay. All right. How well did that work for you? See, you're you're guiding that logic for them. You break it down into little steps, one after the other. How well did it work for you to punch two techs and light a small fire in their nurse's station? Not that well, huh? Yeah, you know, I think that when you can get a patient, certainly when they're beginning to become a little more rational, but maybe they have a personality disorder or some type of behavioral type issue, to recognize their pattern of behavior mm-hmm. and own it. And to make them feel, and certainly they understand that it's inappropriate, but right. in a lot of these instances, they're in permissive relationships where this works. That type of behavior, you know, that I'm going to hit you till you agree with me. I'm going to act out until you, until you let me get my thing, whatever that thing is, mm-hmm. has been successful so far. Yeah. You get, you get kids like this. That is how they get what they want at home. Like, I want to go play video games. Well, no, you don't. You haven't done your homework yet. Yeah, well, fuck you. There goes your couch and your TV and your living room. Right. Like, okay, just go play video games. I'm done with it. Because it's easier. Yeah. 
And then the next step is, okay, that didn't work. Crystal, you started a fire and you broke two windows and I think you stole a cop's gun and shot a blimp, if I'm not mistaken. I saw that happen outside. What is it that you're willing to do to get to go play on the playscape and slide down the slide? What are you going to be willing to do? Then they get you and the patient get to come up with some options together. Yeah. So, so like maybe option one for Crystal is like, well, I'll light a second fire. And you don't tell them that's a bad idea. You go, all right, well, that is an option. You could light a second fire. What's another option? Well, I could uh, rip off all the skin on one of my arms. And okay, that's an option. What's another option? And you stay in that loop until they give you something that is constructive. Like, okay, I could apologize. I could put out the two fires and the waste paper baskets that I've started. Uh, you know, I could be chill for a little while. Like, you know what? I think that's a good idea. That's probably the best way for you to get outside of the playscape. Like, you know, uh, the program schedule says in, in an hour and a half, we're going to the playscape. So what if you put out the fires and quit throwing things and breaking glasses and lighting fires? Um, we can get you out to the playscape. I want you to come back to me after you've made your way to the playscape and tell me how that worked for you. I want you to come back, leave that gap of time, come back to me and tell me. Or I'll go out on the playscape and I see you sliding down the slide. Okay, how'd you get out here? What did you do to get out here? Yeah, because I, I think once they see that constructive behavior pattern and it, and it gets reinforced right. with reward, they begin to consider their options as being positive in a way that they can interact in a way that is responsible and acceptable. Right. right. When there's a certain reward and a like an affirmation because when these guys do these things, it can't go unnoticed. Right. When they make a positive move, when they have, you know, when they cease to act negatively to get the things that they want and they're actually making an investment they're investing in that relationship that you formed with them mm -hmm. and they're, they're counting on you to reinforce them once they've been positive and once they've interacted with you positively. Good. And, you know, you'll see those first few interactions where they're basically like, I'm going to step out and do something, but I need you to recognize it. Yeah. And you see that all the time. And the moment that you don't, you're done. Yeah. You're yeah. done. It's for every one behavior that you negatively redirect, you need to positively reinforce 10 behaviors. Uh, absolutely. But you know, it, it gets easier and easier once you break that shell because it is uncomfortable for them because it is a little bit submissive for them to accept redirection and for them to step into a pattern, which is odd for them because this is a new behavior pattern. They're now not acting out. Now they're following direction, but they expect you to reaffirm them in that position to say, I did this thing and it was a positive move for me. And I want you to recognize that I'm, let's not say playing your game because it's not a game. Right. But in, I, I've had patients use that, that term with me. Like, look, I'm doing your thing. I'm playing your game. I need you to blank. And it's not as cut and dried as that, but you need to be there and be positive and be reaffirming in that behavior. 
Yeah, because this these steps to the Asama Asama assisting process, and I love that they call it the assisting process because you're not doing anything for them. You're assisting them, doing it with them because it just starts with helping them link an emotion to a behavior, and then you affirm and clarify what they're feeling, make sure they understand that there's a link between their behavior and their feeling, and then you give them options, and you you never not validate even the worst of like, oh, you want to go to the cafeteria this morning, even though you're on calf restriction and you guys that are veterans, y'all know what a calf restriction is. Yeah. Okay. So I could kick out the door and go to the cafeteria instead of, oh, don't do that. You say, okay, well, that is an option. You, you're a big guy. You probably could kick that door out and get to the cafeteria. That's true. What's another option? Like you don't, you don't, you don't disenfranchise any of their options. You help them walk through it. You you you, you lead their logic with it. And I, that's why one of the things about Sama is is I love is it's it's not the it's not the physical hold part, which I don't even know if we can do a podcast on the physical hold part. <laughs> right. How do we do that? You guys would have to watch us. It's weird. It's ugly. Yeah. But but the assisting process is it the philosophy being you join them and follow them in order to lead them. Yeah, you know, and when you look at this overall picture of what this looks like to create a, a positive feedback from a patient, you're talking about the very essence of a trust relationship. Right. I mean, you are investing in a patient and you're you're basically trying to ask them to accept the things that are valuable about them and to validate themselves and that they, you're there walking them through this process instead of stepping into negative behavior to try to get the things that they want. They are trusting you when they make that first move that's positive. They are trusting you. They're stepping out of a pattern of behavior that they're comfortable with that's always been successful. Right. That's now not successful. And I really, again, you know, we touched on this last week. I think people are good and I think people want to make good decisions. And I think that you can't make them alone. I think that you need people to tell you that you're doing a good job. And I think that, it, it needs to be recognized. They you need, need that assisting process. Ivan Pavlov, yeah, baby. It's hundred percent. And yeah. if, if someone wants to step out and they want to start making some right decisions. And I mean, I know you guys are out there handling 10, 12, 15 patients at a time. You know when those critical moments are, when a patient breaches their their inner self and they step out and they're willing to do something that you've been asking them to do for some time or respond in a certain way that meets an expectation that fits within the, the social environment of your milieu and they're willing to do that, mm -hmm. you've got to step up and recognize it. Yeah, because that positive reinforcement is usually something, that, especially with the PEDs, that they're not going to be getting at home. hundred percent. What's the incentive for me to act positively at home when no one cares? And the PDs, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've stepped onto a unit of adolescent boys and been a strong male figure and they flock to it. Yeah. You're holding them accountable. You're respecting their space. You're respecting them as individuals and you're recognizing them as who they are, but you're holding them accountable to a certain behavior pattern mm -hmm. and they love it. They just flock to it. Yeah, and you know, it's really, I think, ironic that a lot of these kids come in with, you know, whatever behavior pattern they have, 
Or in, in the adult acute unit, it's really the same thing, just carried on a few more years where they're able to get out on their own and they're make, able to make even more adult-type decisions that involve higher stakes where they're losing more um, because there's more on the line. And, you know, whether they go from school and disciplinary issues there to jail to homeless I and mean, we've seen it all we've seen these in some cases even from going from the the juvenile units up to the adult right it's the same pattern of behavior and you know it's it's that old saying play stupid games win stupid prizes i do that a lot i win a lot of stupid prizes <laughs> right. and on that note i'm going to take another drink of my uh, bourbon barrel ale are you drinking? I thought you had a Temptress. Nope, you have the Temptress. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to do this for a second. I'm going to leave it on the air. Oh, the mic picks that up really well. It's so gross. Well, yeah, but it's gone now. <laughs> I finished the bottle. So that's good. So, you know, as I said, I was going to funnel some of this down. Sama assisting process being my favorite uh, kind of rubric that I loosely follow to. And uh, remember, I have not actually taken or taught a Sama course in about four years. So there's probably details to Sama that have changed over the last four years. I'm operating four years prior. So, you know, if there's things that are different. Um, you know what? You know what doesn't change? Hmm. Just being a person. Well, I do. No, I mean, you see people come in to orientation and you know, even before they get with the patients that they're going to do well mm -hmm. because they're people and they know who they are and they're well-grounded and they're able to communicate and they're empathetic and you feel it and you feel them as a person before you ever see them with the patients. And you're like, I can't wait to see you out there. Mm -hmm. You can't teach this stuff. You just can't. I no. mean, I can I can run you through the Sama book. I can run you through TRBI. We, we can do all the things. You can take great notes and you can pass all the tests. But the truth is... You learn what you need to learn on the floor. You do. But you need to bring a lot to the floor before mm -hmm. you get there. Exactly. And if you're not that person, you don't have those things. I don't care how many classes you go through and how much I sit and you shadow techs and nurses and do all of those things. If you're not really truly an empath and you cannot identify with people and read a room very quickly and understand what people need and what the threat level is of a certain individual and where someone is coming from and how to address that, you're going to fail. Yeah. Every time, every time. So another couple of, tits and tricks that I've got here. Are you still, did you say tits? Tits and tricks. Okay. Tits and tricks. Tits and tricks. I've been saying it the whole night. You just hadn't picked up on it. Well, you dropped it in the, in the, in the text message you were talking to me about the title of this episode. And I'm like, that's probably a fucking typo right there. No, it, it was not a typo. <laughs> that was very intentional. Okay. Tits and tricks. Tits and tricks. Uh, is the something that I like to call, it's not me versus you. It's me and you versus the situation. I love that. So we'll do a little role playing here. Jody, I want to go outside and smoke a cigarette. Is it time for smoke break? It's about 45 minutes. We'll smoke break, Isaac. That's fucked up. Yeah. I want a cigarette right now. 
I understand, but if I break the rule for you, then I have to break for the rules the rules for everyone, and we'll be in total anarchy. And what's going to happen if you break the rule? Nobody's even going to know, right? Yeah, but other people will notice, and then they'll expect certain things from me as well. Yeah. I can't have a system if I make rules for individuals. Yeah, and then there's this whole thing where you could go, and plus, my fucking director of nursing is walking around here, and if she sees me giving an unscheduled smoke break, I'm not trying to get written up today. It's going to be weird. See, it immediately was, I'm pissed because I want to smoke, and Jody doesn't want to let me smoke. It's me versus him, but then he gives me a good reason, gives me a second good reason, and then he's like, man, I'm not just trying not to get fired today. Fuck. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've heard that exact explanation given by a text. Yeah, because you know what? It's me and you versus the situation. Like, I'm on the side with you. And that's a really, really, really good tit and trick. I've also seen techs get tripped up when there wasn't a direct threat to the tech about a different rule. Yeah. And, the, and the tech's like, hey, you know, well, you really couldn't get in trouble doing this for me. How would you like to do that? Oh, my God. It gets gets tricky quick. That's a duplicitous edge to walk on it really there. Is, yeah. yeah. But uh, that whole thing has definitely saved me some ass beatings, both on the each other and on myself. Before. Yeah, poor, poor Steven's having to come out and put another door up. Yeah, but the poor guy. Dude, I don't know what it is with those doors. I mean, they look really solid, but apparently they're not because they get just destroyed all the time. I could get it down. I don't know, man. It's fine. We got to put one of those like roll-up doors at the storage facilities. <laughs> Do you remember there was one patient that was like, I'm going to smoke right now. It's like, well, I can't, I can't let you out there. All the patients are in group and we have an explicit rule. You know, we're not going to single out patients to go and smoke because that's part of the motivation for you to go to group. Yeah, we then want every, you to attend. Everybody would be smoking instead of going to group. Yeah. And he goes shoulder first in the door and just bounces off and just right on the floor. And, and at that just, point, what are you just like? Okay. Well, so that he actually got up that time and then did some kind of karate kid judo shit on the door and it actually like bowed. I was like, Oh, I'm kind of afraid uh -oh. he's going to get through there. Yeah. But I guess that one hurt bad enough to, we kind of backed off the little thing, but he, he was still pretty sure wanted me to know that he could get through there if he wanted. He was showing you where he was, man. But over and over, I see guys kick those doors and bounce that plexiglass to where, I don't know if it just comes out of the whole seal and like the plexiglasses on the outside of the door frame and then maintenance gets all pissed off. Yeah. Basically at that point, you just go out there and offer him a light. <laughs> what are you going to do? Hey, yeah, no, I'm not going to go out here and fight. It's 115 degrees. The concrete's yeah. hot. No. So, so we go from kicked in door to kicked in face. If I don't go out there, yeah, you know, no, I'm good. It's almost worth it to let him smoke. Them, I'm, but I'm not trying to go in there with like an arterial avulsion, but you know, I always feel like a dumbass like that cigarette because it's like, yeah, I'm rewarding this behavior. Fuck it. But I'm not getting beat up. Yeah, you're not getting beat up. You're not getting your ocular socket caved in. But I always have a discussion with those patients on the outside. It's like, dude, listen, that's completely out of control. What are you doing? What are you thinking right now? Because look at this mess you've made. Look at this whole thing that you're creating over just a cigarette. Yeah, it's just a cigarette. And you were going to get one anyway. You were. It was just 45 minutes from now. Yeah. That's all. But, you know, and I think we touched on this when we, when we did schizophrenia and... I don't know if you guys out there realize, like it's like eighty-five to ninety percent of schizophrenics are addicted to nicotine because it's good. Well, I'm sure it's good. I mean, it's not good for you. It's not. But then those nicotinic receptors, they get so mad. It's Man. it's unbelievable. It's over a cigarette. Have having smoked for numerous years, I get it. I, I don't get kicking in the door. 
I don't know how long you've been without a cigarette when you were a nicotine addict. And a schizophrenic. And a schizophrenic, you know, it's way different. <laughs> it is probably way different. I try to sympathize with those guys, but still you try to run some type of a system, you know, where it's like, I need you to, to conform. I need you to be a part of this milieu and yeah. understand the work rules. with me. Yeah. Work with me. Work with me. Cause I, cause then my boss is going to come over here and wonder why there's a patient out there smoking, uh, when it's during group time. And the door's been knocked off the thing, and that's going to cost several hundred dollars to get this specially made door frame. Now I'm in trouble. And then again, you're going back to that me and you versus the situation. True. You're like, I didn't keep you from smoking. You busted this door down. And look, dude, man, you just got me in trouble. Come on. Everyone's in trouble that day. What a, what a crappy day. This is sh- Well, we had a really shitty fucking boss. She was mean <laughs> as hell. Super draconian. She, she just wanted to fight. I don't know what kind of... I don't know what kind of day she was having, but you know what? She need we need to get her a cat or she, something to love her. She needs redirection. She needs redirection. Yeah. She needs some oxytocin going up in her <laughs> life. I don't know what's going on. Which brings me to one of my other tits and tricks uh, in this line of work. I still, I, are you going to clarify how tits works into this? This is a psychiatric hospital. Do I need to clarify tits? Or are you just going to accept them as part of the job? You're fine. Go okay. ahead. Yes. Yeah, see? Boom. One. So another one of these very, very uh, uh, effective mechanisms, especially with patients that are, and, and I do hate this word, conduct disorder. Oh, boy. Or they're just behavioral. And we'll get into that at some point on another little podcast. Where Whoever I, I, coined that conduct disorder thing just needed a thesaurus. I mean, they really... That's just so terrible. I'm going to slap them in the neck. <laughs> yeah. And I'm actually... I'm going to go out to my car, and which is not a nice car, and it's not the newest car, and I'm going to unscrew my antenna, and I'm going to whip them across the Ooh. back of the legs with it. Yeah. Yeah. But... Uh, Planned ignoring. Expound. So when you decide that X and Y behavior is better off to be ignored. So just full extinguishment. So it it doesn't feed any negative behavior and it doesn't feed any positive behavior, especially when you get these borderline personality folks or those that are just flat out attention seeking. I'll get it wherever I want to. Uh, it doesn't follow the Pavlovian rules of reward. True. So if it's a behavior that's not dangerous and it's not hurting anybody and it's not hurting themselves, we want to make sure that we're not reinforcing negative behavior by coming over there and go, Hey, you are superficially cutting yourself with your fingernail you know, I'm not really personally as a tech, I'm not really interested in going there and then redirecting that because that is them wanting me to spend one-on-one time with them. Yeah. That's and negative, negative attention. That's seeking. negative attention seeking. Yeah. I'm not trying to do that. That's so people that are hungry for negative or positive attention, mostly negative attention. If you ignore it, ignore that behavior entirely, you don't get attention at all. And they get bored and it doesn't follow, like I said, the rules of Pavlovian reward. Uh, for example, there was this one time I, I was a uh, lead tech, which is basically, I don't, everybody calls them something different. It was basically a tech supervisor. 
and I was crossing from one unit to another. And I, when I stepped onto the other unit, uh, this one was mostly borderline, mostly like low level, uh, chemical dependency, SI, passive SI without a plan, just, you know, for us that are jaded in the psychiatric field, just kind of low level stuff, you know, just meat and potatoes, no seasoning. Yeah. And I stepped to the nurse's station and I check on my tech and I said, Hey, how's it going over here? And I look up the hallway and she has closed all of the bedroom doors because she's not letting people go back there and go to sleep because it's time for group. You're going to get over here and you're going to program. You're not going to waste our time. You're not going to waste your own time. You're going to program. Well, what appeared to me is that somebody threw a fit because they wanted to go to bed instead of group. And this tech would not open their door. She's like, no, it is group time. I have a bathroom available for you if you need to use the bathroom. But you want to go in your room so you can sleep. So I look down the hallway and there is this grown-ass man in his 40s laying down on the floor like a toddler in front of his room. Just laying there. He's not screaming and crying. He's just laying there. And I said, said to my tech, I said, hey, buddy. What the hell's going on over the hair? And she goes immediately, without without skipping a beat, oh, we're going to ignore that behavior. And I was like, I love it over here. <laughs> I love it. Because if you go, hey, what can I bribe you with to get you to group? Then you've rewarded negative behavior. Right. Or if you go down there and light them up, and you're like, you better get into group because this is ridiculous. You are not here to just lay in the floor and throw a fit like a child. This is petulant toddler behavior. Then you've given them negative attention. But my really good tech, I've worked with her for years. She goes, We're good. we've chosen to ignore that behavior. I love it. Yeah. And you know what? That, that patient wasn't getting anything out of it. Got up, went to group. Yep. After so about 20 minutes. That's really, that's extinguishing for you guys out there that... Um, are looking for a new term to share with your friends. You're extinguishing that behavior by not recognizing it. You're not you're rewarding negative behavior. You're not interacting with it in a way that the very next time they think that they encounter a situation where there's no, they don't want to participate or they don't want to enter into that um, trust part of the relationship that you're trying to build with right. them, that they're going to interact in a way that um, wants to get your attention because they want to run that relationship, but they, they, they want to control it in a way that makes you interact on their terms, makes you recognize their behavior, makes you want to strive to modify it. But they don't want to right. modify it. They just want you to try to do it. Yeah, they just want you to do it for them because they're right. not, they have an inability to self-regulate. And they're satisfied with that. They're satisfied with not really having a resolution, but that, that you're attempting to get there and they as bad as it sounds, they really thrive on that negative attention. Yeah, well, when you're raised in chaos, that's all you know. Right, right. They're comfortable with it. They're yeah. just comfortable with the attention that they're getting, even though it's not positive. Yeah, so when I see the guy down at the end of the hallway who's yelling and screaming, and he'll throw a punch at the wall and crack the drywall a little bit, but then he'll look up at the text, right. and then he'll do it again. And then look up at the text and do it again. I'm like, no, we're going to ignore that behavior. And, that, you know, the good thing about those type of particular patients is that they do need the attention. And when that when that particular behavior is extinguished, they'll search new routes to get it. And I've seen them over and over and over again when that negative attention is 
not not recognized that they find a new route to get you in and sometimes very often it'll turn positive they'll start following right. the program right because it, we call that attention extinction mm-hmm. it's because once that kid gets tired of throwing a punch at the wall and staring at the text and we're ignoring the shit out of him he stops and he comes and sits in the day room that is your moment to go and sit next to him and we're like look dude you didn't even need my help. You just stopped punching the wall and you came in here and you're watching Finding Dory. Yep. And you're off and you're okay. And the moment that they make that transition is you have to step over that reinforcement. You have to go, man, I'm really, proud of you. That's when you recognize, yeah, hey, I see this thing that you're doing. I think it's very positive. I really appreciate that you're giving this a chance. I think this could be good for you. Let's I don't think continue. you were doing this at home. I no. think that I think that the parents would start yelling at you, you'd start swinging at the parents, but you just changed the whole dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. You did a good job, like like layer on that positive attention. Yep. And another little fun th- little tit and trick that we have uh, come up with over the years is uh, uh, pediatric patients with ADHD. So they do this thing with their activity, where um, I have a graph drawn, and I obviously can't show it to you. But they get hyper and more hyper and more hyper and more hyper and more hyper. And then there's a line on the graph where they've gotten so hyper that they cross the aggression line. Jody, you know what I'm talking about. You've worked with PDs before. I've worked with PDs before. I like it. I like it. So ADHD kids will get up to that point where they cross the uh, the, the aggression line. Or sometimes they're sitting there out in the hallway outside of the day room playing fucking jump rope with it. Right. Uh, uh, And another thing that you could do is that when they're playing jump rope with that line, you can you can get that aggression to go back into the hyperactive behavior. Uh, uh, One of the most brilliant things I've done is um, uh, I learned from this older tech. I saw her, she had a uh, ADHD patient in the hallway who was just running around and hitting everything that was moving. He was like six years old, you know, just, you know, bouncing like a pinball. But, and he gave her a couple of really good punches. She had criteria to put him in a SAMA approved hold. Sure, she did. But instead of doing that, she holds her hand up and she goes right here, high five me right here. So then he start, takes off running and starts giving her high fives yeah. faster. And she'll raise her hand. Can you jump this high? Can you give me a high five this high? Bam, jump up there. Then we turned it into a game. It's non-aggressive anymore. We've pushed him back down below the aggression line. Right. That's one of my favorite tits and tricks about this line of work, especially with ADHD pediatrics, is, is that you all, all it is is them playing jump rope with that line because they've got so much energy. At, at some point, it just becomes agitating to experience. So then just bring them da- back down below that line. They need that activity. They need that motion. But let's do it positive. Yeah, you know, and every time I see a hold or I've been a part of one or I see another tech engage in one, there's very few that I consider to not just be a loss. I think, right. you know, it's not that you're, it's not that the party's over, but I always wonder what could we have done 
to gotten out, to get out of this situation because when you enter into a hold, you're violating that trust relationship with the patient. You're damaging it. You are. And certainly there are patients that are certainly on an acute level that are experiencing some psychosis of some nature that it's very necessary. They're violent. They're lashing out. They're completely out of their senses. They don't recognize that anyway. And when those interventions are necessary and you get in there and you get a hold and there are emergency medications administered, that's certainly in the interest of the patient. But, and you've seen it and I've seen it, where people that aren't necessarily geared for it, that are out in the milieu and maybe they have their own level of frustration or have some things going on at home, Mm -hmm. and a patient gets into a hold that you look at and you're like, I don't know about that. I just wasn't necessary. I wish we could have worked on that a little bit more. Yeah. I wish there was a different approach. Were you keeping them safe or were you keeping them knowing that you're in control? Right. Because when they begin to come out of that completely, I'm not reasonable. I'm, I, you cannot really not even approachable. Those holds are a different class. But when you get a patient that has already come out of that, that is still experiencing some impulsivity and some mood lability where they get triggered and something happens or there's an interaction that's negative with the peer on the unit and you see a hold happen. I just, you, you already have been working with this patient and now you're making this huge negative influence. And I often think that some patients come in that have never really been uh, had any experience in that field or really never been sick before. Maybe this is their first psychotic break and maybe they're cleared for a couple of days and you're working with them and then they go into a hold and they get these medications and it must just be very traumatic, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I just hate when it happens. I hate um, seeing those patients have to take those medications and yeah, especially when they've, they've really broken through that first hard crusty layer of psychosis and there you've had conversations with them you've been interacting with them and something happened where it just the just the afternoon went sideways and now they're in a hold it's such a setback for that whole trust relationship you know yeah i guess and and one of the things that i like to um lay down for a patient when we're when we're all closing in for a hold and i say this is all of our least favorite part of the job yeah we don't want to do this yeah i don't want to be on the floor with you right now i I wish i weren't here i wish you weren't here and it's not because i don't want to work that hard it's because we're going to damage our relationship because then when we do a hold it is about who can physically overpower you and that might be the background that you've come from and I'm don't I'm don't I don't want to be a part of that I don't and I don't want to be the other patients on the unit that have to witness it and yeah. maybe they have uh, you know a background that's that's just riddled with family abuse and they've seen it happen over and over and now there's this altercation that's happening and people are being put into holds and it's just it's not good it's not my favorite thing I mean I'm good at holds and I don't mind doing them and certainly they're appropriate all the time. Yeah. I just don't like it. I just wish it didn't happen. I hate it. Yeah. But certainly I'd be remiss to say that there are not situations where it's completely appropriate and that you're not acting in the interest of patient safety, not only for themselves, but other patients and staff. And I mean, it is what it is. And my next little area before I summarize here is a, is a controversial area 
It is about patients experiencing hallucinations. And there's several schools of thoughts on how to approach that. And I'm not telling you this is what you should do. You know, you did not pay me to give you a seminar. These are just two dudes drinking beer talking. I'd pay for your seminar. It is going to be vulgar and probably cut short at about 18 minutes. Um, I personally, and you guys may have a different opinion with what you're comfortable with. That's fine. But personally, I never deny hallucinations that are happening with a patient ever. I've never, ever spoken to a patient and said, that's not real. I, I don't do it. I'm not there to shatter their already fragile reality. One of the things that I do say, which is kind of a roundabout way of saying that that does, that's not real, is I'm not saying it isn't real, man. I'm just saying I don't see it. Yeah. I've done that. But you come out, you're completely irrelevant talking to a person. And I don't know if you remember this patient, but she believed that there were people that were coming out of the uh, vent in the ceiling and crawling into her vagina and laying eggs Whoa. in her stomach. Do you remember this? Uh, no, but I like it. Well, she was screaming bloody murder and she was mad all the time. And like, we were not stopping this from happening. And she was completely hallucinating and, and she was a methamphetamine user. Repeat patient pretty, pretty commonly. And I remember having this discussion with her and you could not have her not believe that this wasn't happening. It's, it's irrelevant to have the discussion with her that it's not, there is no reality orientation that's appropriate. Yeah. Cause they're disconnected from the concept. It's happening for them. Yeah. It's hundred percent happening. You're not going to convince them that it's not happening. Yeah. It's real. It is real. And, and, you know, a thing that I do and you, you know, maybe I've got a sensitivity for dissociative identity disorder, but, uh, I, uh, I sit down and I ask them, what are the voices saying? Yeah. What do the voices look like? What do your hallucinations look like? Cause then, you know, best case scenario, I get to start to figure out what exactly they're going through. Worst case scenario I build a relationship with them where they don't feel like they're completely alone. I love, and you know, so many of these hallucinations are so common. You know, we've talked about that before to where I, I like to approach them in that similar fashion. Like, you know, what is this like for you? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Meet them where they are. Trying, Yeah. Trying to decide if they're command in nature, because those are really the dangerous ones. But I always like to, and even if it's completely something new for me, I like to go, you know, I hear that, that often. It's kind of common. I've, I had a patient a few weeks ago that was experiencing very much the similar things that you're going through. So, you know, understand that I understand what you're going through, but also know that there are medications that are available that can really step in and, and make a difference here. Try to encourage that compliance and yeah. to have them believe that this isn't, this isn't, terminal that this isn't going to always happen that there is maybe something that can help and you know some of the things that i've done over the years and you may get some therapists listen to the this the t- turn nose up to it and they're like ah, i don't think i would be validating that but i have carried multiple demons out of a shower so a patient who's being attacked by demons in the shower can successfully take a shower i will physically pick yeah. the demons up and go here i got rid of them 
Okay, you can take your shower without shrieking. I've stood in rooms and told people that I would protect them while they showered. Uh-huh. I've done that. Yeah, or you're seeing this and you're seeing this. And I'm like, well, you want me to tell him to get the fuck out of here? Because I will. <laughs> he'll listen to me. He's not listening to you, yeah. but he'll listen to me. He don't like me. And I know this. I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but when you're really in the middle of that, and I know you guys out there have had patients like this that are responding so hard. It's just, it, it's all you can do to just get them to feel safe for just a moment to where they can just have a conversation with you. Yeah. You know, it's so real. I mean, I, I, maybe you can see it as validating their hallucinations, which are non-reality, but you know what I mean? It's just milieu management. It's part of continuing to build that relationship that may be very valuable tomorrow. You want them to, when you come in tomorrow at your shift at 7 a.m., to go, that guy's going to help me today. That guy gets it. Yep. He's going to, he's going to protect me. Yeah. He's the one that drugged my demonic grandmother out of the shower from spraying pussy spray into my conditioner to poison me. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. (laughs) I do. You do. (laughs) I remember that patient. So like, cause in, you know, in summation, these guys often can't self-regulate. They cannot self-redirect. So when we are there, our job is to step in and help be that self-regulation for these patients because they're, for whatever reason, unable to do so. And the people with that skill, the, the, the people that need to have that skill the most is your techs. Yeah, and just, you know, when you're talking about something like that, that seems so far-fetched, imagine how many layers of reality have been suspended by the time that you are at a point in your life where you believe that your dead grandmother's in the shower. So imagine how fragile that individual is, and imagine, just for a moment, the things that they consider possible, and the things that they've already left behind or neglected as just a part of just being a person and being responsible on some level that you would consider approachable. Right. So just see where they're at. I mean, if we're here, imagine all the other steps that we've gone through to get here and the things that are no longer valid to me as a person and the things that when you say them to me, I can't even identify with. Yeah. No kidding. It's, it's, you're, you're a long way away. You need to reach out and it's a long reach sometimes. But those that are nurses or people that teach portions of orientation, make sure that your techs know these kind of tits and tricks because a tech bar none is going to be spending 95% of their time with these patients. The verbal redirection 95% of the time is going to be performed by the tech. So these kinds of tits and tricks are going to be used the most by your techs and their interactions. The, I mean, the patient interactions are almost always going to be with the tech. So it's most important that we teach our techs these kinds of philosophies and tits and tricks about redirecting various behaviors because this is how we get positive results out of patients. Uh, you know, so like the techs out there that are listening, uh, just I know this is a hard job. I know this is a sad job. I know this is uh, an exhausting, both mentally and physically job. But just remember, keep your chin up and keep your fucking pants on. 
Yeah, and you guys that are out there doing it, you're not paid enough, and we know that. And I know that. <laughs> I, I do. Listen, I've checked before, and I. You know about that. You know, if you don't love it, you can't do it. You just thank you. You can't do it, and it just there's so much of this job that you come in knowing that I know that you can do the job before you ever do it when I see you. I just can't teach it. I can teach you what's state approved and what's within compliance for a hold. Yeah. I can show you, you know, what within facility parameters is acceptable. I can show you the, you know, the theory of our facility and what we want for our patients. And you can begin to see some of that and appreciate that and, and try to apply it to the way that is the single most important thing that I think is relative to this job no matter where you're doing it is who you are and what you get and what you understand and what you can bring to patients. I can't teach you that you either are that or you're not that. Yeah, pretty much. So, and I think we've, we've touched on a lot as far as verbal deescalation and we didn't really go through the science part of it, but I think science isn't real. Listen, science has been verified by whom? Science? I don't know, Britannica. (laughs) (laughs) It's peer-reviewed for a reason, I think. That's true. We're going to end this episode the way that we end all episodes, and that's for you guys out there that are coming up to maybe making a bad decision or maybe know someone who is. The National Suicide Alliance and the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is full of people that will answer your phone call in the very first ring and listen to everything you have to say. You can call them at 1-800-273-8255 and just tell them your story, man. Just tell them what you're going through. They will help you. They will get you to where you need to go. Yeah. They're just, they're fantastic. Yeah. Again, 1-800-273-8255. And this is the part of the show where Isaac always says, and Nelson Pantera. Yeah, there you go. And also I want to wish you guys a Merry Christmas. And I know that it's before Thanksgiving, but fuck you. (laughs) It's Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) 